0: The views and opinions on this show do not necessarily reflect the views of ESPN Tucson 1490 and
1: 1049 FM or the Arizona Lotus Corporation. Got car trouble? Now's the time to talk with Jerry on the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show. Call in now at 719-1490.
0: Drinking, piston, clanking, air polluting, smoke belching four wheeled buggies from Detroit City, then pay attention. I'm about to sing your songs, huh? Good morning, Southern Arizona, and, and the rest of be out there in cyberspace. Welcome to the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show right here in beautiful Tucson, Arizona, ESPN.com, 1490 AM, 104.9 FM. I'm Jerry Simmons, your host. Along with me, I think, is Mr. Jim Mooney from Frontier Towing for all of your towing needs. Jimmy, there.
1: Good morning, Jerry. Good morning, everybody out there in the cyberspace. Hope you're having a good Saturday. Hope we won't too be too much rain today.
0: What do you mean, too much rain?
1: Where's the super safe Saturday? Oh, super, I was a little loud, working a little late last night. I forgot. Super safe Saturday today, folks. When I'm on the radio, it's super safe Saturday. I mean, slow down, move over. Drive safe. Be very aware of everything that's out there. Oh
0: yeah. Yeah, so what did you get into last night? Can you share?
1: Oh, it's just it's just uh you know, regular tow work breakdown. It just uh unfortunately in my job stuff doesn't break down between eight and five. It it happens in the middle of the night, so sometimes you get stuck out there working Late, so I was I was up a little late working, and it, it makes it makes me for a little little uh, little slow in the morning. But I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thanks hey, for that. That's
2: asking.
0: all right. I'm a little slow in the mornings, but I just blame it on being from the south. I mean, where nothing really gets up and moving out in the country. Uh, you know, you get up at six o'clock or four o'clock in the morning. You wake up at about six thirty. <laughs> So, well, I'm there glad you're with me this morning, big guy. You know, uh, we were uh, talking about last week, and this this deal with these electric cars, there's uh, hydrogen stuff coming, and there is so much going on in the industry that some wild hare Uh, got in my head that I needed to go ahead and research and see if I could find out what's going on with the recalls. I mean, my Lord. And I'm going, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And so after about two days of reading about recalls and what was going on, I thought, well, you know, this is interesting. And they're talking a lot about the uh, electric vehicles, of course. That's the hot subject right now. And so I found a little, little survey that they did on uh, purchasing electric vehicles to hold backs. And 61% of the people that were done in this survey, I guess it's a pretty sizable survey because this is a pretty good sized topic. Uh, 61% were charging logistics, charging logistics. And I understand that because I mean, that's, that's big. 55% said the amount of miles that you can actually go per charge, and fifty two percent said cost of vehicle and cost of maintenance and i'm going wow that's pretty cool that's 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 a bunch and meanwhile hertz rental has buy they're buying uh sixty five thousand 65,000 Polestar Volvo EVs, and they're going to put them out. And, uh, of course, that's good because they're all made in Charleston, South Carolina. So at least we're getting something as local. And the problem that uh, I was really surprised to see because I haven't heard that much about it. I don't know where I've been hiding under a rock, I guess is GM uh, is having a bunch of problems with the Chevy Bolt, B-O-L-T, uh, electric vehicle. Uh, the battery's having a massive problems to the fact that uh, GM is refunding to the previous Bolt uh, purchasers uh $6,000 check if you won't sue them When you have a battery issue, i.e. a fire, evidently it's a combustible start. And I thought, well, that's interesting. So for the ones of you out there that's uh, looking at the electric cars like I am, uh, good luck. I mean, just keep digging. And just remember, anything that is new, you know, I don't buy the first new vehicle that hits the market. I need for them to uh, get it out there. And let Jim go ahead and buy one and see if he can blow it up before I spend my money.
1: <laughs>
0: is that pretty much your theory on this thing, Jim?
1: <laughs> uh, I guess that's a good theory, Jerry. Let let, let Jim buy one first and see if it see if he can catch it on fire. At least you know the the good thing about it is is if it if it catches on fire and burns to the ground, I can tow it away. So <laughs> there there is that plus on the on the sideline. Um, yeah, the the electric vehicle fire is is a really really challenging issue. Um, whether it's from a crash or just a uh, short or mismanufactured, those a battery fire on an electric car is really difficult to challenge. And I, the bolt I think has the requirement to park at fifty feet from everybody else. I mean, I don't know. I guess if you're in Walmart, you'd park at the very end of the parking lot, out on out on the road. I mean, there's no place I know that you can get a car fifty feet. Could you imagine fifty feet at your house? I mean, it'd be in the street someplace. It'd, it'd be really tough. So these are these are really tough challenges that that people with electric vehicles are facing. That. Um, uh, and if it's fifty feet away, how do you charge it? <laughs> That's one long cord that you're going to have hooked up to your uh, to uh, your, uh, well, your charging port. I I have you know? a
0: motorhome yeah. that I hook in, and it's got a, about a twenty-five foot cord on it. But uh, I think the amazing thing about this, uh, the recommendation on the Chevy Bolt, is when you charge it. You pull it in, you charge it. Well, as soon as it's charged, you unplug it and push it out of the garage, away from the house. And I'm going. Oh, wait a minute now. Let me see if I've got this right. I'm going to plug this thing in at eight o'clock at night, or eight fifteen when the when you go to the cheaper rate of plugging it in. It's going to take about four or five hours to char- charge up if you're lucky. And you have a good charging station. And so 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 1, 1 30, What do you got to do? Set your alarm clock at 1.30 in the morning, get up, unplug it, and push it out the door because it's charged? But that's the recommendation on this. And I'm going, boy, I'm telling you, everybody's scrambling to try to do the right thing. But And that's on electric vehicles. Now, the, one, the other one that kind of shocked me was the... Um, Ford uh, Escalade, uh, no Ford Excursion, and the uh, uh, the other one from Lincoln, Navigator. The Navigator and the Escal, uh, well, the t- the two cars, the Ford Excursion and the S es- uh, oh brain fade. I told you it's hard to get going this morning. But they have a problem with a fire, and they're recalling it. uh,
1: And in May,
0: they recalled Ford recalled thirty nine thousand expeditions. I'm sorry, expeditions and navigators, and they expanded it to sixty six thousand. And Ford recommends parking outside, away from the building, Uh, possible fire. And that's for the two thousand and twenty one models, and that was as recent as seven nine of twenty two and I'm going, "What in the world is going on so I'm about as confused as everybody else sitting out there going, "What' you talking about no this is this is I researched it, and it it showed up on three or four different places, so I guess it's got to be legitimate. The other thing that uh surprised me was. The amount of recalls, and I'm going, holy cow. I mean, we've been building cars for a long time. What, What, what is it? Uh, did we forget to rebuild the cars now? I mean, you've got uh, recalls on the F-150. Like I said last week, 150, 250, 350, 450, uh, 550, and six, 650, I think it was, on the Ford trucks where the wheels might fall off. You're telling me that we can't put a wheel on now in a manufacturer. We cannot hit the torque specifications. Now, something about torque specifications, torque specifications are really critical. If you're putting tires on one of Jim's big tow rigs or you're putting a tire on a horse trailer or you're putting a tire on an RV, a pool trailer, you know, your, your favorite fifth wheel, when you put them on and you're out on the road, you drive that thing about maybe 10 miles I'd say, "Eh, I drove mine about 25 miles and then stopped it and put the wrench back on it to tighten it up again. Now, if you don't have a torque wrench with you, they're inexpensive. You can buy a torque wrench, learn what the torque on these lugs are, and torque them in sequence. In other words, you go to one lug nut on an eight lug, skip the net, go across it, to the other side, across that one lug nut that you're tightening, and tighten that, run them up, and then tighten them down. Don't torque one on before you get the others tight. Tighten them all up, just snug them up good, and then start your sequel. Go across the wheel, back and forth, back and forth, run it around, and get that torque specification. Uh, I don't recommend setting the the final torque spec until you get all of them snugged up. Just do about three rounds on it and get them all nice and tight because I know you probably don't have the torque uh, tools that we use at the shop where we put them on and they only torque in different color little, little adapters and they only torque to a certain amount of pounds. So that's really critical in keeping the tires on these things because if you ever had a tire come off or you, you, you when they get down to about two lugs left, they start breaking stuff. So torquing a tire on a vehicle is real critical. Don't just do it like NASCAR does. In fact, NASCAR is pretty good at it and they still have wheels come off. So that's, that's the deal on torque. Every that's put on an automobile that has a nut, a bolt, has a torque specification. Everything on a car has a torque specification. So, you know, we do a lot of stuff where we'll we'll put it on and we'll over-torque it. Well, when you over-torque it on a thread, you actually pull the threads and take a chance of anything. All of a sudden, you hit a shock like a pothole in the road. And you've already torqued the the bolt past its ability to hang on, and you start bending the threads, pulling the threads off of the bolt, and that's when you start getting in trouble. So a, a torque wrench down at one of the little little stores, you can get them as low as nineteen dollars, and you can get them up as far as uh, three hundred, depending on how big you want to go and what what your application are. But for the consumer, the John Doe public, you can get a cheap one, and you take your time. Most people get in such a hurry to change a car, tire, uh, especially on the side of the road. But just remember, if you change it on the side of the road and you put it on there, take my word for it, I, as soon as you get to a pull-off place, a safe pull-off place to get your hind end off the road for these big vehicles coming by, set it down, shut it down, and retort the wheels. Just retork them, and then you're good to go. It gives you a little bit of, gets you a lot of peace of mind that the wheel's going to stay on, and then you'll be good to go. And that's for traveling around on vacation. That's for running around Tucson, Arizona, or any other place in the country where you're actually using a vehicle. So do the torque, and you'll be happy. Um, recalls 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 you got anything you want to add on that torque in those wheels or anything on the safety a- end of it jim
1: Well, if you that that's it's really really important that you get it correct because you're absolutely right you can break them just as easy as you can leave them loose and both are equally dangerous if you don't have your torque wrench or you don't know how to use a torque wrench or you don't want to know how to use a torque wrench um if you change your tire. You know, as soon as you can, take it to somebody who does know what to do. Just pull in, you know, if, if you're going to a tire shop, those guys will will gladly look at it for you. But I don't know anybody that wouldn't stop and, you know, say, hey, I, I changed my tire, but I'm unsure. Can you look at it real quick, make sure that I properly installed it? I don't know any, any tire facility that won't stop and go out and take a look at your tire and make sure it's done correctly. Because they understand the the risk that's involved with tires. So, um, and, and if it's if it's anything else, if, if you don't know what to do, seek out somebody who does. Because if it's if it's lug nuts or you know something that involves uh, items falling off, it's just it's best to get it checked. Just like going to the doctor. You know, you don't know, you you don't have the way to know. It's okay. You, know, you have other expertise in this world, so seek out somebody who does know. That's that's what I gotta say.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Better safe than sorry when you're riding that vehicle that weighs anywhere from what eighty thousand pounds down to about thirty uh, two, thirty three hundred. Or Well, that's a little high now. They've got them lighter, so you got the smaller cars, but you still need to know what the torque specs are on these wheels because if you change them out there, knowledge will – if you use what you learn, uh, you, you'll be a lot safer driver on the road because if a wheel comes off and you're right beside of me, you may run into my three-quarter ton or you may run into my Honda but if we always knew what we were going to run into we wouldn't even need insurance we say okay well i know that i'm going to run into that so i'm not going to run into that you stay away from it but um it's still it's a it's a safety item keep the wheels on the uh, on the car uh by all means check your tires and you should be safe to go um Back to the, some of the recalls that we've got. I, I thought it was kind of fascinating. You've got Hyundai, which is the I O N I G. I don't even know really how to pronounce it special, but it's a hybrid. I, Onyx, I like I O N But it's a hybrid,
2: and uh,
0: there's a recall on them because they fix the fire risk. And it didn't give me a year on that. Uh, I will give you a place to go find this stuff out after I get through with this little blurb on this. Nissan Frontier and Titan pickups recall due to roll-away risk, okay? Roll-away risk means that the parking pole and the transmission is probably not hanging on. So you want to get that in if you own a Nissan Frontier or Titan pickups. Uh, recalls, you need to call the National Highway Transportation Safety Authority with a VIN number, and it's NHTS, as in Sam, A, VIN, the emblem, pound, dot com, and check and find out what you're doing. And I'm going, my Lord, you know, this, this thing's got so many vehicles on them. And by the way, over 30 to 35% is what the guesstimate is, if my memory serves me correct. Uh, people are driving with active recalls on these cars. Now, the Takata airbag is still going, so you've got that recall still going, and a lot of people are not paying attention to that. But you need to make sure if you get a notification in the mail on a recall, you handle that because notifications in the in your mail or you hear it on TV where they've recalled them, recalls are a safety item. Technical service bulletins just tell you, all right, technicians, here's a heads up. This the, We've noticed this many problems showing up on this particular vehicle. That's a technical service bulletin. When they send you a recall, it means that we have found that the National Highway Transportation Safety Authority has found this to be a safety issue, and it will be fixed for free at the dealerships. So that's the reason you watch all this stuff. But you look at 2022, Ford Broncos and Rangers. They're recalling them because the windshield could detach. The windshield could detach? I mean, we've never put a windshield in a vehicle, so now they're making them so the windshield could detach. What's going on? Don't know. But it's something to keep in mind if you're buying these little $45,000 Broncos and Rangers. You know, get it checked out. Um, Nissan has recalled, Nissan has recalled 323,000 Pathfinder SUVs over hood latches failures. Now we can't put a hood latch on to keep the hood locked down. And that's the safety part of the hood that keeps it from flying up when you're driving down the road. I thought that was amazing. And then, in, uh, like I, I said earlier about the Ford recalls, the 66,000 total, uh, recommend parking these uh, expeditions and navigators out of the garage, and you get in and forward and find out what's going on, if they can fix them. Uh, I thought it was uh, interesting, you know, a lot of scuttlebutt on alternative fuel vehicles. Uh, Propane conversions, that's been around for a long time because I used to do the dual fuel system. Brian Fuller did the dual fuel systems on propane or gasoline on cars. The problem we had then was the the infrastructure for filling it up with propane, and that still is a little issue. That brings me to uh, hydrogen. Hydrogen is supposed to be made from propane, so that means that if you have hydrogen-powered vehicle, then you've got to go to a special station to get it filled up. So the infrastructure is a number one player in almost everything that has fuel to do with it right now. I remember when diesel fuel back in 93, uh, when everybody started buying diesels as small trucks, you know, that one ton down, one ton, three-quarter tons, it had to diesels. And you'd have to run and you'd wind up going to the truck stops out on the freeway to get diesel until, until all the stations uh, ramped up and got diesel fuel at them where you can get them. And there are still service stations in Tucson, Arizona, that you can't get diesel. However, when you're looking for it long enough, you remember. Okay, I can go across, I can drive six miles and get it. I can drive fifteen miles and get it. I know there's truck stops on the side of the freeway, so I can get it there any time. And that's the game that you have to play. It's no different than what's going on right now with the electric. You know, electric is here to stay. We all know it's a, it's a big push on it for everybody to get electric cars. And I'm still waiting for GM to bring some of those little twenty two to twenty three thousand dollar hundred and fifty mile range cars back across the border and start selling them in the US so we can see how they work out. <clears throat> Electric cars for the uh city drivers and stuff like that, man, that's gotta be the way to go. That's just gotta be the way to go. It's clean. Uh it'll get you there, get you back so you can plug it back in when you get home. You know, it's great. I haven't seen a recall on those yet. Of course, they haven't hit the street yet, and that's probably the only reason. If they're pushing the production, there's going to be mistakes made. It's going to be based on a percentage of failures on these vehicles, but we need to shove them out because we can make a lot of money on these electric vehicles right now. And it's a big profit structure, so we need to get those things out on the market so we can start making this good money. And there's going to be mistakes like there is on everything that pops out the first time. So alternative fuels, propane, propane conversions, which is no longer being done. I'm sure somebody is doing them, like on tractors. Uh, But the problem with the farmers is how do you get propane pumped into the tanks? And there's tanks, and there is a structure that you can put in. There's equipment you can put in at your farms. Uh, where you can put propane in, and a lot of them have them set up on trucks with the big pressure pumps and stuff where they can pump that stuff from point A to point B. So that's being taken care of. But there's just a lot of stuff going on, on on fuels, and the recalls, oh my gosh. Volkswagen has the highest recall rate with 1,805 vehicles, Per 1,000 vehicles sold. I don't know how you get that number. How do you get eight one thousand 1,805 per 1,000 sold? Highest recall manufacturers in the country is Volkswagen, Chrysler, Honda, Hyundai, BMW, Volvo, Ford, Mitsubishi. Land Rover, Nissan, and Toyota. That's the top 11. So, if, And that's per California Lemon Law. They, they did a survey on this stuff. And you go to National Highway, N-H-T-S as in Sam, A-V-I-N, the uh, icon number, dot com, and find out if your vehicle is being recalled. Now, electric vehicles, I thought, well, if we got that many going on in the uh, automotive, the gasoline motors, let's, what, what do they got going with electric vehicles? Because that is, once again, one of the uh, hot subjects now. And this, I haven't heard that much recall. I haven't heard any recall on the news on these on electric vehicles, and, and I don't know why. But BMW 13 recalls, uh, Chevy Bolt recalls, Chevy Spark recall, Fiat 500e recall, Ford Focus Electric, Honda Charity EV, Honda Fit EV, and what's going on? So if you own a vehicle, you remember about thirty-five percent of you are driving with an active recall on it. Check the National Highway Transportation Safety Authority and get your vehicle checked out before you get the surprise of your life. Um, but it's just remember, recall is a safety issue. Get it checked out. Don't ignore it. Do not ignore it. It's just like I had a recall on my 2018 Dodge three-quarter ton because they forgot to tighten a nut on a ball joint or something, and so I roll it into the shop, and I have the guys go in and check this recall and make sure that I'm good, and it's something that we can fix, and I don't have to drop it off at the dealer and go back later on and pick it up. and. Then when they do it, we note it that we did take care of it, put the right torque specification on it, and it's good to go. Um, out of all vehicles, Tesla, Hyundai, and Nissan, and Ford has more recalls than any other American manufacturer in history. Okay. So the recalls are very important. They stick in my mind because it is a safety issue and I want you to be aware of it. So what have you got to add to that, Mr Jim Mooney from Frontier Towing?
1: Well oh, just uh, <clears throat> when you're talking about the recalls and electric vehicles. You know, it's um remember it's it's electric is really new to us. Uh I should say this volume production electric cars are new to to us so since this is a new emerging mm-hmm. technology you know having a backup plan what might be a smart idea so since we struggle with infrastructure with electric charging batteries battery issues recalls every you know driving a driving your cell phone basically that's the. Brian Fuller would say, right? Driving driving a computer, computer on four wheels. Sometimes it's not You're a bad right. idea to have a backup plan like a you know, an older reliable gas car that, you know, if you need to jump in and go two hundred and miles because your electric won't make it that far is not necessarily a bad program. Yeah you know, ev- everything you do in life you buy insurance for for not because you want it, because it's because it's there in case you need it, right? Well, think of a think of an a, just a, an older or a, a gas powered car. That's your insurance policy, just in case you might need that puppy. You know, take care of it, get it checked all the time. You know, make sure the tires are good, but run it around. You know, but if you have it have it in the in the waiting, just in case you need to. To be able to um go a long distance or your electric's not working or you're or you're unsure of your electric you know have a backup plan i mean I could say use a bicycle, but I think a gas car is is a little bit better and, and like anything we Jerry and I remember quicker. when when diesel was. Yeah, quicker. <laughs> remember, Jared? I remember when the diesel market—we talked about this all the time—when the diesel market came into into being, you know, in the late '70s, when gas was like it is now, and diesel was the savior at that point. And you know, in the late '70s, early '80s, yeah. diesel was the saving grace. Everybody ran to make diesel cars. Just like we make electrics now, it was exactly the same. There was the Oldsmobile Cutlass Fear with a with a 350 Chevy in it that was converted to a diesel motor. I'm sure Jerry can tell you the stories of of laying on the ground from the from the the trial and error of the diesel car that you know blew up. I remember it. I remember it vividly.
2: <laughs> it's.
1: It, but because we were trying you know to overcome a uh a, a rush to a situation because we knee jerk react to it, we developed these these new programs thats right and you know what has it taken us forty years to get to Diesels where they're when, really good now you know?
0: when when that when that uh, general Motors motor turned out that uh, they used a uh, uh Buick. Was it a Buick Three, Osmobile 350, because it had a bigger crank in it, and they convert- they rushed it and converted it over to diesel, and that motor was so weak it destroyed the diesel sales for General Motors. Now the reason I'm saying that is because I had an uncle that was in on this little thing uh, when they converted it over, and I talked to him, and he told me he said. If you want to keep one of those uh, 350s that uh, they had out that had the diesel conversion on them, he said every 50,000 miles, you drop the oil pan on it and tighten up all the bolts on the bottom end because the compression was too heavy for the bolt structure to actually hang on to them. And they would actually back out, and that's what would blow up the motors. And uh, he told me, and I said, well, I'm looking into buying a bunch of equipment for diesel diagnostics and stuff on this motor. And he said, don't do it, because it will it's going to be gone. And uh, so I just I held off on buying it, and sure enough, they dropped them, because it wasn't stout enough. But GM, it took years for GM to recover on the diesels before the public started trusting them again because it was a quick fix, it was a quick conversion, and it was something that you have to pull it apart at 50,000 miles and redo the bottom end as far as torque to all the specifications, replace anything that looked like it was flaky. and uh, so. But my dad had one of these things. Son of a gun would get 28 miles per gallon, and it was in a big Buick that he had, And uh, it didn't work. I mean, it'd drive. It had no power. You could run it wide open down a freeway, and you'd get about 65 miles an hour. I drove it. You can drive it down a freeway. But if you got ready to pass somebody, you better hope it was a farm tractor because you didn't have any power to get around these things. They were not turbocharged. They were made to get fuel economy. At that time, diesel was cheap compared to gasoline. In 1993, when everybody, when all the trucks and stuff started coming out with diesel engines in them, well, it created a market for the diesel fuel. And what did diesel fuel do? It accelerated right up past the gasoline price. Therefore, it wasn't really an economical purchase that you made to try to save fuel. And then same way with the dual fuel conversion that had propane. Propane was about 60%, 70% the cost of gasoline at the time dual fuel was very popular. I hired a guy from New York to fly into Tucson and sent my guys to school on it at the shop. We closed the shop, we went to school on it and so and it worked the biggest advantage of doing the dual fuel conversion with the propane is commercially the guys that were losing a lot of fuel because of Oklahoma credit cards by the way that's a garden hose um it stopped that instantly and that was the big savings that my commercial guy told me that the benefit of having the propane on it They can't steal the propane. And uh, I thought, well, that's pretty cool. But propane accelerated in the cost. Right up there, just a little bit, about equal with gasoline. But propane gets about 17 to 20% less fuel mileage than gasoline, which made the propane more expensive than gasoline. If you take the theft out of the gasoline, uh... It just uh, it you know it that's what happened with the dual fuel conversion thing, which I thought was pretty cool because I had a Chevrolet three hundred and fifty with it uh, converted over, and I sent my truck to the drag strip. They said, "Oh, you lose power if you're running propane." Yeah, one tenth, one tenth speed in a quarter of a mile, and I sent it out there with a guy that runs drag cars, and he run it through. And then he'd convert it over, switch it over to gasoline. He reset everything to run optimum on gasoline. And then when you switch it back to the propane, you set it up to run optimum on the propane. And it was like one-tenth of a second or something like that in a quarter of a mile. So, yes, it has the power, but it also uses a lot of fuel uh alcohol same way alcohol you know they're talking about well i've already mentioned it they've got as much as 15 percent uh alcohol in this uh some of the fuel mixtures back east and it comes with a blue handle on a pump they haven't got them all set up yet but they're pushing the propane on them and so uh or alcohol and alcohol historically burns on a race car it burns almost two to one gasoline And in order to get the same power out of it, it does run well, but uh, there are a few things that go with it. One, the operating temperature of the engine needs to be around 212 to get the optimum out of the propane. And so there was a problem. You'd have one race car running full uh, alcohol, like my son was, and then you'd have the other guys running racing fuel, uh, and wades would burn down. Twice as fast. So on a race car, for the people that run in race cars, you know that if you're not carrying the same weight load on the back end of that car in that fuel tank, it changes the setup on the car. So he'd run like like a scared dog for the first half of the race, and then his handling would start going away because of the fuel weight. Everything started to shift. So there's a lot of stuff that goes in other than just, okay, I'm going to buy this and put it in there. What I'd like to see is electric car race. I think there's enough uh, energy in an electric car that you can probably run 20 laps or something like that before you run out. But that, uh, you know, they run diesels as race cars. They had very good success for that. And I think uh, in some of the vehicles that they're running, they still have diesel-powered race cars. And successful, but it's not popular. It costs a little bit more to build them, more to keep the RPM up on them. And so that's what's going on in that, in that high-performance field. All right, you want to add something to that, Mr. Mooney?
1: That, oh, the, that
0: was a lot the of coverage in a short race. period of time. That,
1: that was. That was very good. Uh, they do the diesel truck race, do the diesel semi-truck race. Or tractor pull. I mean, that's kind of cool. Um, electric electric car race. Electric. Um, you want to do drag, or you want to you want to do you want to do uh, NASCAR style roundy rounds. And if you do roundy round, you know, I guess well, the, the trick would be how fast can you refuel your car if you want to, or and and then what what um, modifications do you going to make to the electric motor to make it overdri to overdrive it basically. That's kind of an interesting that would be an interesting mm-hmm. race to see. I'd I'd like to see some of that go on because it's um it'd be a new thought process of of fuel management basically in relationship to um, um uh driving speed. I'm sure they could get the speed up, uh oh, yeah. I'm sure, you know. <laughs> so I guess the next question is how do you put a restrictor plate on a on an electric motor, Jerry? <laughs> <laughs> do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: not sure how you. I have no idea. <laughs> but but the the one thing that <clears throat> kind of surprises me is most people don't understand that electric motor. Uh, all you have to do is watch a Tesla go down a drag strip against anybody, and that thing is quick as lightning. And so you you take that thing down, but it's one time. If I, I want to see because NASCAR, they're they're they rolled into a pit. Their time is going to be about nine to eleven seconds. Eleven seconds is long now. Putting fuel in it, changing four tires, and going. If you have an electric vehicle and you pull it in, uh, I mean, how how how? What's the even with a four forty charging station? I just don't see how that thing's gonna I mean you now you're up to uh what twenty five minutes minimum on a charge to get that thing back out on the street back out on the track, so that's gonna be interesting well, what, when you get that you, infrastructure worked out but for for the
1: well, ones you of you that do don't know battery. nascar is a go ahead well, what you do is in so today we fuel a car on quickly what you do there is you'd have a hot swap battery so imagine you know like on the back of your drill you pull it off and you slap a new one on and go you'd you'd have a hot swap battery replacement program where you pull the battery pack slap a new pack on and and you're on on with the program then your fueling is is left at the at the track at at the pit area and part of your your racing performance would be how fast can you charge the battery because for example let's say you're given because at the currently you're given x many gallons of fuel to run and if you're not if you're not um if you don't have a fuel management program you run out of fuel before you finish the race correct that's that's the current procedure mm-hmm. so if you right. so if you if you have 3 let's say you have 3 charged batteries and then you you um you have a hot swap program where the guy pulls yanks the battery and slaps a new battery on and he, off he goes Now you're going to recharge your, 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 your depleted cell, you know, the technology would be, so how do we charge it quickly? Do we cool it? Do we heat it? You know, do we overdrive it with, with, do we, you know, do we surcharge it with, with high voltage, you know, that would be, that would be where racing could really shine in electric vehicle technology to where it would actually bleed back to the consumer. The electric, the race guys have figured out how to efficiently and quickly recharge an electric battery and then um that would drive battery technology to the point where like ha- um accepting high voltage charge or accepting recharge done on done on multiple platforms or multiple charging ports or charging multiple cells individually um there's a there's probably a a, a method in there that that the race guys could really add to the electric vehicles um, uh, environment that we've created today, whereas, you know, because they'll because race guys will figure stuff out. I mean, just, let's just face it right now. You give them oh, yeah. a program and a problem, they're going to come up with a solution. It's what they do. They're really good at it. And if they can roll out there and say, we can do this and this and this, they push a lot of information back to an OEM or back to a, a battery manufacturer and start asking questions how do we do this how do we do that and then that's how how real big strides are made at least that's how i think it's done cuz i've seen a lot of race right. guys invent a lot of a lot of interesting tricks and techniques that actually come back to the OEMs that benefit us the general public
0: Absolutely, well, it's a test track for the car manufacturers uh you know uh chevy ford has, Chevy Ford and Chrysler used to be involved real heavy in it <clears throat> and that's back when they took a car out of the manufacturer, or the manufacturers give them a car, and then they would modify it or they'd race it, and then they'd start modifying it with a constant feedback to the dealerships. Or the or the o e uh, the manufacturer g m ford Chrysler they'd feed this information back, and that was a test on the engines and the performance cars that they thought they had then the race circuit made it better by reporting back to them but when you got a car that you can put on a drag strip and it's a combustible engine, and that thing will has ten Thousand horsepower. Somebody has already tested it and figured out how to get 10,000 horsepower out of it. When you take a NASCAR and put it on a track and run it for 500 miles at anywhere from 8 to about almost 10,000 RPM on a rotating assembly and it stays together, that is some pretty good engineering by a lot of people involved in engineering. And I, I just, I, I find this amazing. But that's the reason our vehicles are, are the engines and stuff are a lot stouter, is because they've already shot it out to the guys that abuse them to death, which is a, a NASCAR or a drag strip, and they report back and, let oh, by the way, you need to change the size of the bolt on this one rod because it's not stout enough to take the RPM or the compression that's going inside these engines. So it's it's just fascinating what the racing industry has actually done for the automotive industry as a whole, because that's a that's a severe duty test, and they take this information and make it a little better. Taking this information, made it a little better. I mean, now they're going to have to start telling the uh, manufacturers, okay, this is how you put a lug nut on a wheel to make it stay. <laughs> This is how you put a hood latch on a hood to make it stay down. You know, <laughs> it's just amazing what's going on now. But it is interesting to watch. But I'm watching the electric vehicles like the rest of you out there are doing. And I think there there is room for electric vehicle. You know, I see stuff on Facebook. It shows a shitty bus burnt. We covered this last week. And it's electric. Okay, so you have electric fire in a bus. Well, you have electric fire on city buses that are run by diesel fuel. You have the ones that are run by a hybrid that are run part electric and and uh, gas. You know, there's, there's going to be fires. There's going to be crashes. It's a rolling computer on tires with a lot of people involved, a lot of a tra- lot of a lot of cars on the road. I think the last time I heard, every family has two and a half cars. Two-and-a-half cars is the average is what they come up with. Uh, Every family has two-and-a-half cars. And I'm going, okay, that half car would be a son of a gun to drive. But, you know, still, that's a a stat. So we have a lot of cars on the road. We have a lot of different cars on the road. We have the gas burners. We have the propane conversions. We have people running straight propane. Uh, We have diesels. We have electric cars now. And, by the way, electric cars are not new. 1890, France had the first electric car in 1890. I think it got about 10 miles on a battery, but it was still an electric car. The new, uh, Everybody keeps talking about we've got new technology. The only new technology we got in these cars right now is computers. Computers control just about everything in a vehicle now, and it's only going to get – more sophisticated, they've got everything now from lane change. Whoops, can't do that. You know they got uh, lane correction, driving on the car. Uh, they just and it just goes on and on and on. They are a computer on wheels, just like Fuller was saying, just like I've said numerous times. It's it, it, it is a computer on wheels. So when you take it in and you have a light. That comes on on the dash And just about everybody listening to this Has had this You have a light coming on the dash If a light comes on the dash And it just flashes on And it stays on for about eh, 40 seconds, 45 seconds It will set a code In the black box In the computer So that your service people Can go in and interface with that And find out what it was doing at the time By the way That little occasional light that comes on on the dash, and it's a computer check from the car that runs a circuit, and it does it all time. And as soon as it finds something that's out of parameter, it'll set a light. It may just blink on and go right off, not long enough to even set a hard code. Or it may come on and set a hard code. And you say, oh, well, that was interesting. What do I do now? It went off. It must be okay. Okay. Uh, do not clear those codes. Leave those codes in there because it has spotted something a long time before you will ever realize that anything is going on. Exception. If the light comes on in the dash and it's blinking, a blinking light coming on in the dash, then it means that it had definitely spotted something that if you don't get it in and get it taken care of, you could possibly face catastrophic damage to the engine. So that's the ones that you really pay attention to. Most of them now, it goes to a limp mode. In other words, okay, Jerry, you're driving this thing, and it's got a blinking light on it. Now, you can ignore it if you want to, and I'm going to cut the power down to about eh, 60% of what you normally have. But it's enough to get you into a garage. That's how the blinking light will work. There ain't no exception on that. It'll cut it down. It'll cut your power down. You'll think you're losing the motor. Well, the reason it's cutting it down is so you don't lose a motor. It'll do it uh overheat um, it It's got a brain of its own down there, very sophisticated computers on these cars now
1: uh what
0: would you like well, I better get if you have a crash on the side of the road or inside or need a car painted, Spectrum Inner Road Auto Collision, 744-4454. They're located at 4425 West Inner Road. That's all your body work and paint work, anything you need to have done cosmetically on this vehicle. They're absolutely excellent at it. Spectrum Inner Road Auto Collision, 744-4454. And for you weekend warriors out there that are working on your brakes, and or you doing a clutch job, Merle's Machine Shop located at 15 West AHO, 807-4010. They have a machine shop, and they can do your rotors, turn. They can turn your rotors, turn your drums, and resurface a flywheel. You want to call them 807-4010. They're open on Saturday. And see if they can get you in. But if you are like most of the shops, don't be surprised if they say, well, we can't handle it until Monday. Because uh, automotive, the repair facilities that are still open are busy. They are busy. So make sure you call first. That would be Merle's Auto Machine, 15 West Aho, 807-4010 for rotors, drums, and flywheels on a weekend for you weekend warriors. Have a plan for you. Pull these things apart, and uh, you will probably thank yourself. You'll say, self, thank you. That was a smart move. I actually did my homework and did my planning before I dived into this thing. Parts are still a problem, depending on what vehicle you have. Uh, How many recalls is out there that's already sucked out the parts that they needed to fix, uh, put on the vehicle for recall? There's a boatload of stuff that's still on back order. I hear it from automotive specialists, Parker and Simmons. Yeah, it's, you know, we can fix them, but we need the parts. And, oh, you can't get it for about, well, there's no, there's no time frame on it. That's, that's the what they're getting in garages. There's no time frame on when I'm going to have this part available. And these guys are scrambling to try to get your vehicle back out to you. So it's not that they're lazy. It's just the fact that trying to get the parts is not what it used to be. And COVID-19 changed a lot of vendors, aftermarket manufacturers. Now people are getting parts just to get a part. Some of the quality controls on them is not as good as the others were, but we don't have a choice. We don't have a choice. We put it on there, hope like heck, put a guarantee on it, hope like heck it runs, and then hope that by the time it fails, we'll have an upgraded part of something. It's kind of like a, a diagnostic chart on a car it says, replace with known good part. When you can't find what's going on, it'll it'll take you down and say, okay. We think it's this, replace with known good part. If the rest of the diagnostic procedure hasn't come up with the exact part, this is probably what it is, so replace with known good part. And that's for real. So experience in a shop, the volume that these guys get involved with, uh, that's uh, talking to Ken over at the shop. And he was telling me that the size of the jobs that are coming in now are just horrendous because people are starting to button down their, their little billfolds because of uh, food cost and cost of living right now. And they're letting their cars go without the regular maintenance that they're supposed to be doing on them and the regular under-the-hood checks by qualified technicians. And so all of a sudden, something pops loose, and it's just a major repair. And you don't have any option. You can either go buy another car, if you can find one, and now the car manufacturers are ramping up, so they're bringing them back in, but they're very expensive. And so people are still hanging on to them, saying, okay, what's going on? We're in a little inflation problem here. Uh, We got a little recession going here. And so what do we do? And this is only the fourth recession that I remember going through, or fourth complication, Since I've been in business, and I've been in business a long time, and I've seen it. I know what's going to happen. Uh, I know that people are buying little gas misers now. They're they're buying their little little cars. They're going to drive them until the fuel. Of course, fuel prices are uh, coming down a little bit right now. Of course, we do have an election coming up, and that's what normally happens. It's not just who's in the office. It's what happens at that time of the election. And who's in the office? It doesn't make any difference, okay, right now. It would have made a difference if they hadn't shut down the pipelines, but it didn't. It is. They hand you lemons make lemonade. So that is what I have to say about the fuel and uh, the cars. The maintenance program on your car is more important than it has been in the history of automobiles in the last probably 25 years. You need to make sure you have a preventive maintenance program in. You need to make sure that you're taking care of that. When you go out and you buy a little used car because it's a gas miser and you got twenty two thousand dollars involved in it, buying a good little car and you say, okay, I really like this because now I've got good fuel economy, and uh, I'm not having. I'll park my great big truck in the backyard, and then when the fuel prices come down, then I'll pull it out. Uh, and then you got to wind up taking it to a garage, depending on how long you've had it set there. And then here comes all the fluid changes. Here comes all the inspections. Because normally when you park those things in the backyard, you haven't done anything to them, and you decide it's cheaper to buy a little gas miser than it is to fix what you're actually driving, which has proven that you're going. To, if you keep that vehicle, you're going to drive it. You're going to wind up fixing it after the fuel prices come down to where you feel comfortable on it. For the people that are parking cars, make sure you put a stay bill or uh, something to preserve the fuel in them, just like when you park your boat after the open season. put make sure you run that uh, fuel saver inside that tank because it will save you a lot of grief if you leave it set for six months or eight months. Or even if you're driving a vehicle and it has gas in it and you decide, okay, well, I'm not going to drive it as much, well, that fuel starts to uh, disintegrate. It it loses ingredients in the fuel. And so what you want to do is you you put a fuel saver in it if you're only driving part-time. The fuel saver will help the vehicle. It won't hurt it, and it'll help it, and it'll save you a lot of money in the long run. In fact, it'll, it can be the difference of the engine actually starting or not starting. So, go go to Merrill's and get you some fuel saver. You know, that, that'll work for you for a while anyway. All right, we got almost at the top of the hour. You you got anything you want to add to things that you can do to uh, actually save yourself some bucks, Jim? I think I'll
1: jump in on that well Well,
0: We'll catch it on the back side.
1: All right, we're going to take a break
2: right now. Hang on. We'll be back.